Stuart Holman here, good to be with you again for this third daily devotional on the theme of exile. Uh, just as the Jews were exiles in Babylon, captive strangers living in a foreign land, so also we've seen the New Testament describe Christians also as exiles living in the world, but not of the world. Although we've been scanning various parts of the New Testament to give us some breadth, we are loosely following the letter of 1 Peter, well, at least for today. 1 Peter is a great place to explore this theme of exile because it's written at a time when Christians are starting to face real persecution from the Romans in, in a direct and organized way under the rule of Emperor Nero and, and perhaps later and more severe under Emperors Vespasian and Domitian. So in this time, a time when Christians are experiencing persecution or even just social pressure, our identity as God's exiles in this world, I think now becomes much more important for us to, to grasp. Before we get to the text of 1 Peter, and, and today I think we're at a pretty controversial part of the letter, I'd like to say a word or two about my current context as a Christian. I don't for a moment think that a Christian living in Sydney, Australia in 2021 can really imagine how hard life must have been for the scattered Christians of Anatolia who first received Peter's letter, or for the many persecuted Christians across the globe today. My situation blinds me to the harsh challenges of so many Christians. So given my place and my perspective, I acknowledge that some of the more uncomfortable words in 1 Peter might seem like cheap talk from a pastor who may never experience the harsh realities of oppression and persecution to which this text refers. And acknowledging all of this, I want to say it's still important to let the Bible speak. We all prayerfully sit under this part of God's word despite our different circumstances. May God grow us as disciples of Christ, exiles and strangers in a world in opposition to God even if we have soft underbellies conditioned by comfort and wealth. So already in 1 Peter chapter 2, readers have been urged as foreigners and exiles to live holy lives, to live such good lives among the unbelievers that even though they are maligned and slandered, their accusers will acknowledge to God that their deeds were indeed good and God-honouring. On the back of, of this instruction, Peter then directs his readers to submit themselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to his governors, the enforcers of the emperor's laws. God's people, though exiles, are to show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God and honour the emperor. Obviously, at times, there will be competing obligations on that list. Okay, so continuing on in the very same passage, Peter now presses his point for those Christians who are most vulnerable, those most open to exploitation and harm. In verse 18, he writes, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, a considerable proportion of early Christians were slaves in, Rome, in the Roman Empire. 
And that could mean that they were indentured laborers or household domestic workers. Or they could be the plunder of war, prisoners given to soldiers as payment for their services. They could be sex workers or children sold to pay a debt. The rights of slaves were minimal if existent at all. And here Peter calls on them to submit themselves to their masters. Not because Peter necessarily approves of slavery and not because Peter thinks that their masters will act justly toward them. No, this is just the extension and application of Peter's earlier call to submit to proper human authorities for the Lord's sake, as he says in verse 13, or in reverent fear of God, as he says here in verse 18. This submission is an action done in relation to God for his sake, for his honour, for the furtherance of the gospel, not because the person being submitted to is worthy of it, whether Emperor Nero or the slave owner. Both systems may be entirely corrupt, not endorsed by God at all. But there is something much greater at stake here, you see. What is that? Peter continues with this explanation. Verse 19, for, that word for signals, that is the explanation for what he's just said in the previous verse. For, it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Why are Christians to submit to unjust treatment, whether by emperors, governors or slave masters? When this is done in relation to God, being conscious of God, as it says in verse 19, it's commendable because that is our calling as Christian people. It seems that part of being Christian, part of our calling, is that we will suffer following in the footsteps of Christ to a greater or lesser extent. Now, as I said earlier, I'm totally underqualified to speak about suffering as a Christian, but I say this on the basis of the plain reading of the Bible texts here. And in this suffering to which we are called, we are sharing in the experience of the Lord Jesus. His treatment at the hands of sinful people was completely unjust and undeserved. They hurled insults at him, but he made no threats in response. He didn't retaliate. Instead, he entrusted himself to God. Instead, his suffering achieved our salvation. So his example of suffering now provides a template for our lives as exiles. Our lives here on the journey are marked by his cross. 
Our suffering does not achieve salvation, ours or anyone else's, but rather it echoes that of our master. We suffer in his footsteps, following in his wake. It verifies and demonstrates our union with him. It also somehow has the effect of enabling our dying to sin and living for righteousness. As it says there in verse 24, it produces this fruit in our lives. Is it ever right or fair? No. Is it rational, proportional, or something that we will fully grasp? No. Can we justify it to a watching world? No, they'll never understand. But it's the way of Jesus, a way that I suspect that is only ever proven in the experience. So as we ask ourselves, how do we live as exiles in this world? This passage teaches us that as refugees and citizens of another kingdom, we have no claim on this world. This world doesn't owe us anything, status, comfort, rights, or security. Yes, very often by the grace of God shared amongst all mankind, we enjoy these things sometimes, and we are so grateful for such kindness. But an exile does not have such things as a right. Instead, we are to choose the way of humble submission, entrusting ourselves to the grace of God. I may share a personal reflection at this point. I want you to know that I find this quite confronting and yet strangely comforting. You see, in my culture and time and situation, being a Christian is just beginning to become unpopular. Once we were considered the good guys, too nice and self-righteous to be believed. But now it seems that we're becoming the bad guys whose convictions about morality and ethics are against many of the laws of our lands. My so-called rights are now subject to a majority view. I belong to a minority group whose faith is increasingly ridiculed in the public square, on, on media of all kinds. So what am I to do with this? I fix my eyes on the Lord Jesus, who has walked a much tougher pathway before me. I'm just a traveler here, passing through. I'm not a citizen of this world, but instead I'm an exile doing the best I can to entrust myself to him, to his grace and protection. And it's this mindset that I want to cultivate. And we're going to do that again tomorrow in our reflection. And I hope you can join me then as we try to develop this, this life of the exile.